Glad to be here with you today, and we're going to continue in our series on the minor prophets. We're going to be hitting two that you probably don't read very, very often. But before I get into my message, I just want to let you know why I skipped out of church last week. Yeah, right. Where were you? So I'll show you the next slide. I wasn't actually skipping out of church. I was skipping out of this church. So I was speaking at uh, Westwood Alliance Church over in um, Coquitlam, and uh, we are partnering with Westwood Church to begin a Cantonese service. They're actually meeting right now in our multi-activity uh, center. And um, so I was speaking. <clears throat> they had me speak first at their uh, English-speaking service. They call it the international service, and then right after that to the Cantonese service with translation from uh, Pastor Feng Chao. He's leading the effort down in, in our multi-purpose place activity center. I want to call it a gymnasium, but I'm told that that's the wrong word. So <laughs> I'm just going to say gym. Uh, but I've also heard that it's not just uh, Pastor Feng who's going to be helping, but all of the, there's a, a team of Cantonese pastors at Westwood Church that are going to be having a turn to speak. Even the lead pastor at Westwood Church is going to come take his turn to preach as well. They're all in this together. And on the 7th, uh, 11th of September, our kickoff Sunday, we're going to be combined. Everyone's going to be together, Cantonese and us together, into a kickoff Sunday, going to celebrate God's goodness together, have a lunch afterwards that you're welcome to join us uh, with as well. And we're just celebrating the goodness of God. A lot of great things are going on, and I'm glad that you're here to be a part of that. So uh, and today we're looking at two prophets, uh, Zephaniah and Haggai. I don't know how you pronounce them, but that's how I've pronounced them since uh, I was a little kid. And in case you hadn't noticed, the minor prophets, you can't read them like you read the other books of the Bible. I mean, they're not written like, like Genesis for history. Um, they're, not, they're not written like the Psalms or Proverbs to be poetry and wisdom. They're not written like the Gospels that delineate the, the life and teachings of Jesus. The prophets tended to use odd visions and mental pictures and metaphors and songs and poetry and illusions in an effort to try and connect God's people with the message he wanted them to hear. And a lot of times they didn't want to hear the message because it was like bad news. Why do I want to hear that? Poor Jeremiah, um, one of the major prophets we're not looking at in this series. Maybe that will be next summer. We'll do major prophets. Uh, majoring on the majors, but so far we're doing the minors. So, I mean, they threw, they threw Jeremiah in a pit, uh, a dry well. Is like, you know what? We're tired of your, your nuisance-ness, and uh, we want to get rid of you. So, oftentimes they had to be very careful in how they presented the, their message. Um, and so, when we read the prophets, we're, we're finding more about God's character and His values. So when you read the prophets, you ask yourself a few questions. What is this trying to say about his character? What does God value? What do they say about justice and holiness or about God's patience and his long-suffering, about his faithfulness and his care for his people? Because if you just grab Haggai and you read it or Zephaniah or Malachi or any of Nahum, and you just read them straight out, you don't understand the context that maybe it's been... A hundred years that they've been hearing a message from God and they just still refuse to repent. Maybe it's the enemies of God's people who have been oppressing and being humiliating towards God's people and saying, enough, I'm done with you. You're going to face, you're going to be treated just like you've been treating my people. 
And so the, it's not that God is mean and judgmental and, and full of vengeance. It's that he has been patient beyond patient, but patience runs out. And then comes judgment, and sometimes it's discipline of his people. So we're going to be looking a little bit at the, the message of these two uh, minor prophets. And, and, and the other thing to keep in mind is as you're looking through the Old Testament, sometimes it's easy just to dismiss it. Well, that's Old Testament, like it's old. We want something new, like the New Testament. I, I've heard of people, I don't, I've not met one personally, but I've heard of people that are called red-letter Christians, and that means that they take their Bible, and the only words they read are the red letters, the ones that Jesus spoke, because that's really real. No, the New Testament is based on the Old Testament. So you have to understand the New Testament in context of what God is doing through the whole Scripture. Second Timothy says, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So if you, if you read about communion, about the Last Supper, Jesus, uh, the Last Supper before his arrest and all that, you're going, oh, that's really very sad. I'm glad we're commemorating that. But if you understand that that came actually from Egyptian slavery, the last of the ten plagues, where there was a Passover of an angel of death. And if you put the blood of the, the lamb on your doorpost, you're, the, the angel would not visit your house and that Christ became our lamb. And that when you have Christ in you, you, you have new life. You have eternal life. It, it's tied, the old and the new together. So what we're going to look at is how God has a message for us out of something that happened thousands of years ago. Zephaniah. And Haggai are ask, uh, coming at two different standpoints uh, for God's people. Zephaniah is going to talk about God's patience running out. You guys are done. Um, time for you to be uh, ushered off into exile into Babylon because his people had been chasing after other gods. We'll read about that in just a minute. And Haggai actually were kind of bracketing the uh, exile into Babylon. Maybe we'll just have a look at the timeline here. Watch poof, there it is. <laughs> Just happens. So we have Saul and David, Solomon, we have uh, all the kings of Israel, uh, and then we have this section here between 800 and 450 where the, the prophets are, are coming to bring a word from God. And, and what that tells you, like the only reason God sends prophets is because his people have gotten off track. They're going down the wrong roads. They're chasing after other gods. They're totally ignoring their covenant or their relationship with him. So prophet after prophet after prophet are coming to tell his people, you got to turn around. you gotta repent. You got to repent. You don't know what's coming. Judgment is at your door. And so we're going to be looking at, at uh, Zephaniah here around 6, uh, 650, 620 uh, B.C. And he's, gonna, he's warning them, the Babylonians are coming. Uh, don't resist. Just give in, be patient, sit down. Uh, it'll, it won't last forever, but judgment is coming. And then, sure enough, uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes in, wipes out all the, the, the enemy, all the opposition, takes off a whole uh, generation of people from Israel, it's from Judah, to Babylonian exile. And a new king comes in, Darius comes in, and the, the, things are shifting in the, the power structure of the empires, and the Jewish people are allowed to go back, back home, to rebuild their cities, get their houses in order, and that's when Haggai is going to come in, just at the other side of the, of the captivity. So 
just to put things in context. So after the prophecies of Isaiah and Micah and Obadiah, Hosea, Nahum are coming, warning God's people to return, um, there's a, a lull a bit. A king, Manasseh, has the, the worst and most wicked king ruling over uh, the kingdom at the time of Judah. Uh, he's been replaced by uh, Josiah, and uh, there is some uh, revival that sweeps across the land, but it doesn't stick. People have a, um, a temporary spiritual experience, and then they just go back to their old ways. And Zephaniah comes in and said, you know, I'm sorry. You know, I wish it had a stuck. I wish you were sincere. I wish you were actually committed to the relationship with God that you had promised you would be committed to, but you, you're walking away. And so Zephaniah is prophesying during the Josiah's reign, uh, sees the revival sweeping the land in 621 B.C., um, but Judah just kept going the wrong way. And you know, at this time, all of the, so there's two tribes in the Judah out of the 12, the 10 tribes are in the north in Israel. They've already been long since uh, wiped out in a sense. They've been assimilated into other countries. They've all kind of just taken on the character and nature of all the surrounding countries and, and tribes. And there's no identifiable 10 tribes left. The only ones left are the ones that are down in Judah. And so they're unceremoniously taken off to Babylon because of their sin and rejection of God. So Zephaniah, it's, it's interesting that these prophets, they have two, two kind of competing messages. One is, what does we used to say, turn or burn? Well, well that's not really a great message. Repent <laughs> or, or face the judgment of God. And the other message is, God loves you. And he actually cares about you. And he actually has a plan to restore you and to restore you back to your homes and restore Jerusalem and restore the temple and reinstate the love relationship he's always wanted to have with you, but not yet. you got to face the penalty. You know, wages of sin is, yeah, there's a cost. You know, sin always has a price. And so their sin and rebellion against him was going to be 70 years of exile in Babylon. That's what they were going to face. So let's see what Zephaniah has to say. Zephaniah 1.1, if you want to follow along on your Bible app or in your Bibles. The word of the Lord came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. Verse 4, I will stretch out my hand, says the Lord, against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the name of the idolatrous priests along with the priests those who bow down on the roofs to host the host of heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord and swear by Milcom, um, a, a false god, those who have turned back from following the Lord and who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. And verse 7 says, Stand in silence in the presence of the sovereign Lord, for the awesome day of the Lord, the Lord's judgment is near. The Lord has prepared his people for a great slaughter, and he's chosen their executioners. And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blasts and the battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. And I will bring distress on mankind, 
so that they shall walk like the blind, because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like dung. Zephaniah 2.3 says, seek the Lord. Just contrast again. All you humble of the land who do his just, who do his just command, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. So I've heard the taunts of Moab and the revilings of the Ammonites. These are surrounding nations around Judah. How they have taunted my people and made boasts against their territory. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Moab will become like Sodom and the Ammonites like Gomorrah, a land possessed by nettles and salt pits and waste forever. The remnant of my people will plunder them and the survivors of my nation will possess them. But I will leave in your midst the people humble and lonely. They will seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel, they will do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth deceitful tongue, for they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Here's a very interesting verse, verse 17. I actually wrote a song based on this verse, but I'm not brave enough to play it for you, so... The Lord your God is in your midst. The Almighty One who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Do you ever know that God sings over you? I want to know what His songs sound like. I guess in heaven we'll get a chance to hear. Behold, at that time, verse 19 in chapter 3, I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather out the outcast. I will change their shame to praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in at the time when I gather you together. For I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. He's saying that judgment's coming. In fact, a whole generation of God's people are going to be dealt with. Seventy years' worth of God's people are, are not not going to make it back home. And another generation is raised up to go back and inhabit the land. And, and that's when God says, I'm going to restore your fortunes. I'm going to restore your reputation. But you know, there's a cost to your sin and your rebellion. I can't just let it go. I mean, I have to deal with it. If I let it go, you know, then there is no justice. There is no righteousness. There is no holiness in me. He says, I have to be true to myself. And we have made a covenant, even through Abraham is when the covenants came. And you agreed to be my people and to love me and serve me. And in, in exchange, I would protect you and I'd bless you. But you walked away. You left my presence. You've chased after other gods. You're bowing down to idols. You're sacrificing your kids to other foreign gods. And I can't, can't allow that to happen. Love God, blessings flow. Reject God, face your enemies on your own. I'm going to skip ahead to Haggai. Uh, so I, uh, as, because I'm the lead pastor, I have to do two prophets at a time. Everyone else gets to do one. But, um, so we're just going to, we're going to, we're going to add Haggai right now. Haggai, he actually had to face the judgment of the people. And Zephaniah actually probably, if he made it out alive of Jerusalem, was also sent into exile. Because God's leaders aren't exempt from facing the judgment upon his people. They don't get a pass. He's saying, 
hopefully, maybe, if you're humble and, 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 and take, this, uh, take this punishment, you, maybe you'll survive. And so I think maybe we don't know if Zephaniah survived the, the onslaught of the Babylonian armies or not, but he, if, if he did, he was exiled. Well, Haggai is one that was, could have been born there in Babylon, or maybe he was very young when he went, but now he's actually coming back as an exile to Jerusalem. He's faced the judgment. He's faced the penalty, and now God is saying, okay, I'm done with all the judgment. I'm going to let you return. We're going to rebuild the temple. We're going to, we're going to get going, our relationship, right? You learned your lesson, right? Yes, we have. <laughs> so, okay, let's get started. So Haggai comes in, and at this point, uh, if you read through Ezra and Nehemiah, those historical books, they were trying to rebuild the temple because the Babylonians had destroyed it. They laid waste to the whole city of Jerusalem, hauled off all the gold cups and candlesticks and things. Remember the story of Daniel in the lion's den? Well, he was exiled there in the Babylon also, and all those gold artifacts the kings were using for their own pleasures. And this is when God shows up, and oh, it's a scary story. But that's, that's what happened, you know, Daniel, where are you? Okay, somewhere, here you are, right in the middle of the exile. So Haggai's coming back, and he looks around and says, what's going on, guys? The temple's not rebuilt. Well, during Ezra's day, they started, laid the foundation, and they were starting to get the temple, but there's a lot of opposition. You see, the surrounding nations didn't want them to formulate another nation. They didn't want to be a a country. So Ezra and Nehemiah comes, and they at least got the walls of the city, the protection back in place, but the temple wasn't done. So Haggai comes in, and he says, what's going on, guys? The Lord God is saying... Your houses are all done. You've got your planters out front. You've got your nice gardens and your grape arbors. But the temple of the Lord still lies in ruins. How, how dare you take care of yourself and neglect the Lord? The way he says it, starting in Haggai chapter 1-1, on August 29th of the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So this Zerubbabel was the governor. He had been sent back to get things going, to rebuild the town, get the, the temple going, but he got distracted, like everybody else in the city. Uh, you know, I, husbands, do your wives ever say, you know, we should repaint this wall. We should redo these cabinets, you know. This carpet's getting a little old. We need to get, how about laminate? How about engineered hardwood? How about, I really saw some cool stuff in this magazine. You should look at this. I mean, the light fixtures are old. We need new light fixtures. And uh, without well, what's going on. I mean, they were rebuilding the houses. They were getting the latest styles. They were ordering, you know, stuff from Google and uh, Marketplace. And stuff was arriving all the time as they are rebuilding the houses and getting new planters and gardens up and fields plowed, and everybody just thought, well, God's house can wait. They didn't realize that God was actually, the results of their neglect had led to drought, had led to the uh, uh, minuscule kind of harvest with the wheat or the grains and the, the grapes and all that. Nothing was going like they really wanted it to go because they had neglected God. And things weren't going well. He says it this way. Verse 4, why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? You planted much harvest, you've planted, lies in ruins. You planted much harvest, you've planted, but harvest little. 
You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you can't keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. And this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Go up into the hills, bring down timber, rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvest, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, it blew away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins. While all of you are busy building your own fine houses, it's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. I've called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all the other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock, to ruin everything that you have worked so hard to get. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord. Wow. I'm with you, says the Lord. Verse 14, so the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel and the enthusiasm of Jeshua and the high priest and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people that began to work on the house of their God, the Lord of heaven's armies. And what does God do? He comes in in chapter 2, verse 4, he says, the Lord says, be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Jeshua. Be strong, all you people still left in the land, and now get to work. <laughs> I like that. Be strong, now get to work. I'm with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. My spirit remains among you just as I promised when you came out of Egypt, so do not be afraid. And he, pro he promises that the future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And this place, I will bring peace. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. This, I love this phrase, the Lord of heaven's armies. I think we forget who we're praying to sometimes. This idea that the heaven's armies, in your Bibles it may say the Lord of hosts. Who do you think the hosts are? You look into the original languages and these, this host is Jehovah Sabaoth, a mass of persons regularly organized for war, a company of soldiers waiting on a military campaign. Do you remember in... Uh, in uh, uh, David and uh, Goliath, he walks up to this Philistine who's like 10 feet tall, and it says in 1 Samuel 17, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. He came in the name of the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven's armies. And he defeated a 10-foot soldier. If you remember in 2 Kings chapter 6, the armies were surrounding Jerusalem again. And the, uh, the, the prophet Elisha had prayed. And the Lord's actual armies showed up. And they were not visible to most people. And so Elisha prays and says, Lord, help my servant see what I can see. And the Lord let the servant see, and the hill was covered with fiery horses and flaming chariots all around. The Lord's army showed up and defeated the enemies. There was, when God says, I'm for you, he means it. He's got, he's got a, a backup plan of fiery horses and chariots and angels ready to act according to whatever he asks. And I think sometimes, though, we forget we have the Lord of hosts in our corner. You look in the, in the book of Revelation. Who's the one that leads the armies of the Lord? Remember? Who gets to be on the horse? 
Jesus. He's the one that's the commander of the Lord's armies. And I also think we sometimes forget that we may be defying the Lord of the heavenly armies when we turn our backs on him. And we think that we can get away with stuff. And he's watching. Nobody gets away with stuff in God's presence. Well, here's the contrast. God, God's people did not listen to Zephaniah's warnings, and they paid a very heavy price for the entire next generation. Paid a price for their disobedience. But God's people did listen to Haggai's instructions, and it says that they finished the temple, and it was better than before, and God blessed them. And it says, it says even that, that not only was going to bless them, if you read the end of Hezekiah chapter 2, uh, you'll see that God is going to bless forevermore. The Messiah actually is going to come as a descendant from Zerubbabel in direct line. Look in Matthew chapter 1, verse 12. You'll see that Zerubbabel, the governor, and his dad are listed in the lineage of Jesus. Obedience brings blessing. Obedience can not just bless you and your family and your, 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 your business or your, your neighborhood when you obey, but can bless generations to come when you're faithful. So the Lord promises to, to preserve Zerubbabel and the people of Judah in the midst of their enemies and to bring a descendant who would reign forever through, through their obedience. I like that. We don't ever hear from Zephaniah again, who's likely exiled into Babylon. We don't even hear of Haggai again. But what we see in the story of Haggai, by the way, if you're, if you're um, I would say, more mature uh, in age, Likely, Haggai was an older person, come from exile, back home, and he, one person inspired an entire city. Everyone else was discouraged. Everyone else quit. They all gave up. We can't do the temple. It's too hard, too much work. Where are we going to get all this construction stuff from anyway? One guy shows up and says, how dare you forget your Lord God? How dare you forget the temple? It's lying in ruins. What are you going to do about it? Do you actually want blessings? Well, get, get busy. Get to the work. Get it done. Honor the Lord with your hands and with your... Bring whatever it takes to finish the Lord's. Put your jobs on hold until his temple is rebuilt. After Haggai, there was only two more prophets. I think maybe we'll have one more slide there of the timeline. We have uh, Haggai here. We have Zechariah and Malachi coming the next two weeks. Uh, Pastor Neil and Sam are going to wrap up this sermon series, and then the, the next Sunday we'll be a visioning service on our Welcome Back Sunday. Two more prophets, but they speak large words for us to hear. There's going to be a 400, 400 years of silence at this point after Malachi, 400 years until, do you know who comes next, the next prophet? John the Baptist shows up. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent, the Messiah is come. 400 years of silence, and then comes the Messiah who starts everything over again. A new covenant, a new testament, something for us to, to look for. They were looking forward to, we look back to. John the Baptist comes with a scene of repentance and preparation for the coming Messiah. Zephaniah, a clear message of repentance. Guys, you're going in the wrong direction. You've got to turn around because judgment's on the way. Haggai is saying, guys, you, you're neglecting what's important. You, you've abandoned your relationship with God. You're not doing what you covenanted with God to do. I wonder, for us, what is the message that we are 
facing today? What does God want us to hear through these two small characters that have a big message? Well, I was on the phone this week to someone, or I think I was texting actually, and um, this is how the conversation, and I have permission to, to tell you this. Um, I'm trying. Uh, so he, <laughs> he says, Do you believe in spiritual gifts? And I said, I'm for them. Uh, what's your question? <laughs> and said, well, do you have any people that are good at praying? And I said, yeah, I do. I've, I've got a lot of people that are really good at praying. They take it very seriously. He says, well, uh, I've got a situation I need an answer to. And I said, well, you know, you can actually pray to God too. And I said, oh, yeah. I guess I should take responsibility for my, my own situation. I said, you know, it's, it's not hard. You can actually just... Start reading, say, in your, your Bible, say, start draw, uh, Matthew chapter 3, read through uh, the scriptures, and then Sermon on the Mount is there, a lot of great teachings. You can use that as a foundation for praying to God and asking Him what's going on. He says, that's a good idea. Just I haven't probably looked at my Bible for the last year. And I, th- I thought, oh, okay, so you want an answer from God, but you haven't really spent any time with Him. You, you want God to give you direction in your life situation, but you haven't been in His Word to hear what He has to say. And I, I thought about this passage, thinking about what are we neglecting, maybe in our own spiritual life? What are the things that we perhaps have let go by the wayside while we're focusing on everything else in our life? Have we been enjoying our own salvation but neglecting to share the good news with others? God takes seriously his command for us to love others as we love ourselves. Well, have we been asking for God's blessings, but neglecting our tithing? We're not, we're not actually contributing anything to God's kingdom. You know, statistically, in churches that I've been in, there's about um, 25 to 30% of people that come to church that never give a dime. They like, to, they like the worship, they like the programs, they like the activities, the ministries they do, but they don't contribute anything. And a smaller percentage are kind of carrying the load for, for the rest. We want God to bless us, but we don't, want to, we don't want to contribute to his kingdom. When he talks about tithing, it's, it's, he's saying that where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Is your treasure the kingdom of God, or is it your bank account? Is it your portfolio? Where is your heart? Sometimes we think, well, you know, God, things are just aren't going so well for me. You know, like all my plans are just not working out. He's going, uh-huh, yeah, I know, like... When you start honoring me, I'd be so happy to bless you. But until you start to honor me, the, 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 the taps are turning off because you're all about your kingdom and not about my kingdom. Have we been critical of governments because you're not taking better care of us but neglecting our own responsibility to help our neighbors or family members that are struggling? Sometimes we want everyone else to take care of us, but we don't want to lift a finger to help those around us or those we know are struggling. Maybe we don't want to humble ourselves or offer our help or contribute from our excess to help other people that are in need. Jesus says he came to serve, not to be served. Jesus says to put others' interests ahead of our own. Jesus says to submit to one another. And Jesus says a lot of things. But more importantly, he demonstrated for us exactly everything he wants to see in our life. So some people here today may need to hear the message of Zephaniah to repent. Turn back. You're headed in the wrong direction. You've 
You've abandoned the things that are important. You're playing church. You're playing with Christianity. You're playing with God, but you're not serious. You're not actually following what it is he has to say. Some people need to hear Haggai's message of getting things back on track with God so he can bless you once again. What are those things that have been neglected in your own life that he wants you to get back in place? Either way, he's waiting for you, for me, to trust him, to turn back to him. He's reaching out his hand to us, and we have an opportunity to take a hold of that hand and walk in a way that is pleasing to him. So faithfulness to God is always rewarded by God's faithfulness in return to you. Love calls out to love and responds in love. Would you bow your heads with me as we close this time in prayer? Father, it seems to me that the people that Haggai and Zephaniah were dealing with were not a whole lot different than our society today. So much is going on that is so incredibly offensive in society. Things happening every day that show a total disregard and disrespect for you, for your ways, for, your, for what brings goodness and wholeness in a society. They've been abandoned for selfishness and for immorality and for unethical practices. It just seems that uh, it's, it's tough for you to even look down and want to bless. I pray, God, that that wouldn't be so with your people, that we would be able to demonstrate what it looks like when you bless people because we are faithful to you. Convict us, Father, where we need to be convicted. Strengthen us where we need to be strengthened. Guide us into a relationship with you, Father, that is where you want us to be. If we've been neglecting you, Father, I pray that you would restore that relationship. Even now, this day, may it be a start of a new opportunity for you to show what you can do in the lives of those who are faithful to you. Thank you for this church and for every person that's helped to put this service together. And for those at home, we pray blessings on them too as, as they seek and to serve you where they are. Guide us, Father, into your presence now as we close this service, but also as we have an opportunity to pray to repent, to reconcile, to ask for your help in our time of need. May we respond as your spirit leads us. I pray in Christ's name, amen.